What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z Podcast. I'm Evan Grant. He's Kevin Sherrington. Unfortunately, he is Barry Horn. We are here for the Ballsy Baseball Podcast World Series Edition. We are joined, gentlemen, by, from, I believe, at this moment, Los Angeles, Richard Justice of MLB.com. Richard, good morning. Good morning. Wow, that is the dullest introduction, and and, and it brought Richard in on a real low. I, right. I, I didn't feel like Richard did not really have all his heart in that hello. All right, Richard, well, let's get right to it, okay? The Astros are in the World Series. How much did Nolan Ryan have to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Hello? That was a question? <laughs> it's, a, it's a question on I, my I, Twitter timeline every moment. I, I, I think... Listeners should know. I think there's some bad blood here between these two guys. Well, well, I'll, I'll say this: um, when Justin Verlander pitches, he says that Nolan Ryan was his hero and his inspiration. And when he pitched the 124 pitch complete game, he, the first thing he said was, "I saw Mr. Ryan sitting behind home plate, and I wanted to do something to make him proud." And that was it. He pitched a Nolan Ryan type game in the postseason, and late in the game, after he had 100 pitches, after 100 over 100 pitches. After eight innings, uh, they started toward him in the dugout, and he just said, uh-uh, no, no, I got this. So what you're saying is if the Rangers got a cardboard cutout of Nolan Ryan and put it up behind the uh, back there in the on the first row, that all the like Ranger pitchers would do, would do great. Well, here's the thing. I would think that John Daniels would say that Nolan Ryan was an unbelievable help to him in those back-to-back World Series, because when you have John Daniel, I mean, when you have Nolan Ryan sitting there as the face of the franchise, it gives the franchise unbelievable credibility. And basically, no one's going to get criticized because the fallback position, and I know this because I have a million relatives in the area, said, no, no one's going to take care of everything. And I think it provided cover for everyone. He set a tone, a franchise that had been sort of a joke for 30 years, became respected, and no one set the tone for that. That would be my view. I agree. Look, I agree that Nolan was a huge asset to the Texas Rangers. He was a huge asset to John Daniels. Um, I believe it's game that, one of the World Series. What the hell are we doing talking about Nolan? <laughs> I know. I don't get it either. But I, but well, uh, Richard, wise, you have you to understand. So, are you so uh, into? I mean, is this a Donald Trump thing where you've got to settle all your scores? You can't even talk about anything else. If somebody you feel Nolan wronged you twenty years ago, and so you got to get even. I mean, my God, give it up, <laughs> Richard. This is why we had you on the podcast. 
So you can set Evan straight. Listen, I got to tell you, the the social media thing with Rangers fans not willing to let this Nolan Ryan thing go. The thing I no. have said since the day he walked away was it was a miracle. Is this a Twitter fight? This is about getting even with people on Twitter? Absolutely, just like you do on a what regular basis. What does this have to do with the World Series? Hang on. You have nothing but time anyway. It's like 6 o'clock in the morning in L.A. And we're grateful you took the time to be with us. So let, before we get into this World Series, let's just settle this. Barry said that. He thought you were going to hang up. Nolan Ryan spent six years with the Texas Rangers. He did an unbelievable job, as Richard said, of giving this club integrity at a point in time when it was completely disenfranchised with its fan base. Can I say that he did that twice? He did it twice, yes. As, as a player. As a player well. and then as, as an executive. Do we, not, do we remember driving down I-30 past Old Arlington Stadium and seeing that huge portrait of Nolan Ryan hanging from the stadium. That was that was pre my time, but it did. It gave the Rangers a lot of integrity. <laughs> that was an unbelievable thing to see that. I also, I, also big think, does that. I, I also do think it created to some extent that that cult of hero worship for Rangers fans that Nolan could do no wrong. And he didn't do anything wrong with the Rangers. But it was John Daniels running the baseball operations. Nolan was involved had input, and again, his huge asset that he provided was that integrity, that he was sitting there in 100-degree heat, that he was on his feet every day in front of the, in front of the stadium clapping. And so there's, there's a lot to be said for that. But to say that Nolan has gone to Houston and taken the Astros to the World Series would, I think, be disrespectful of the work that Jeff Luno has done, that A.J. Hinch has done, and more importantly, that this, that, that this entire roster has done. And I, I, I think that where we're at now as we get into the World Series is the question is, 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 is this an Astros team that is set up for, for multiple World Series appearances? Richard, that's your question. No, this is 2017. Anybody that thinks you're going to have a two-year plan or a three-year plan, doesn't even actually know the game. Remember when the Cubs last year, the first thing that people like you wanted to say is, oh, this is a 100-year run. You don't know. It's year to year. Teams change every year. The division changes every year. So all that matters to me is game one tonight. I have no idea what the window is. And as far as your thing with Nolan Ryan, I really think you need to see a therapist. <laughs> Okay. Uh, All right. Now, Richard, uh, I don't know. Did you have an MVP vote this year, Richard? I did not. You did not. So then we can ask you then who you would have voted for for MVP. Jose Altuve. Jose Altuve. I, I tweeted the other day that I didn't have one either, but if I had had one, I'd like to think I would have voted for Altuve over Aaron Judge. I did not have one this year. I, I had and who a, would you have voted I had for? a Cy Young Award. I would have voted for Altuve, um, and, and, and mostly because of this. Um, Altuve had a leadership for two things. Uh, Altuve had a real leadership position with the Astros, whereas Judge was was able to just be a guy with the Yankees. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, I think Altuve was far more consistent over yeah. the course of the season than Judge was. Yeah, um, that was something I wanted to point out was that the, the Judge, as we know, had a couple of real swoons during the season. Right. And, and and Richard, I'm sure you've got a stat for that. Was there ever a time that uh, that Altuve went more than a couple of games without a hit? Well, his worst month was September. He had 291. But, you know, <laughs> his worst month. His worst month was 291. I mean, he was 350. And he had, I mean, 
mean, there were stretches there. He was he was at 500 on the road for a while. And stuff. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. He's got the quickest hands anyone has ever seen. There's, it'll be interesting to see how Clayton Kershaw pitches in tonight because there's really no book on him because there's no pitch he can't hit. There's no pitch he won't swing at. I think 30% of his hits in the postseason have come on the first pitch. And he sort of sets a tone. There's, the Yankees have a reliever named Tommy Canley who struck him out in New York in the ALCS and sort of made a gesture uh, or screamed or did something. And Altuve was seething. And he comes back and he hits a home run mm-hmm. in uh, one of the games in Houston. And very unlike him, he gets he carries the bat halfway down the first baseline and, and flips it. Uh, um, not a Jose, not a Jose Bautista flip, but pretty, but a pretty darn good one. If this was, if the Astros were the uh, Rangers, they'd still be sucking their thumbs about the bat flip next year. Now, Rick, can, I, can I ask a question? Don't get wait, ugly wait, about wait, the wait, Rangers. Can I ask a question? Yeah, Barry, who do you think? Uh, Barry, did you have an MV, uh, an MVP vote? No, I didn't. Barry, who, who would you vote for if you did? <laughs> You guys ignored me. Just you like laid out on the there. entire Cowboys well, podcast because I picked because I picked the 49ers <laughs> and I thought I should lay out, lay out. Barry, do do, do you think uh, would I, you well, vote for all, Jose I Altuve? I didn't. Yes, know I would have. But I want to ask a question of all you guys. Let me just can I clarify? I know up? who you vote for. I had a vote for no. Rookie of the Year. He had a vote for Cy Young. Did you have a vote in I, anything? I voted for for. <laughs> It's my city councilman. That's who I voted for. You have the Ford Frick Award. One of the few people in America who has a Ford Frick Award. And you guys you know why screwed that up f- again. Do you, okay. know, do you know why I have a Ford Frick vote? Why? Because a lot of Ford Frick voters are former winners, and they're no longer with us. Well, but you have, but there are four of you. And, and, <coughs> one of the, and one of those other people who is not a former winner, who is also a voter, is the great David Halberstam. So, I'm listen, I'm going to tell you something. You have... Uh, no, he's dead. Yeah, he's okay. dead. Richard, this is your Here's this is your cue though. to say what the hell does this have no, to do no, with no. the World Series? No, no, no. Oh, you, but 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 here's my question. I, as long as you're talking about it, everybody here said they think Altuve would right? would have voted for him. Do you think he'll win? Yes. You know, I don't think so. I think he will. I think that there's there's too much there was too much enthusiasm nationwide for Aaron Judge. That's just, it's a great I, story. I think you're not giving the ball writers enough. Uh, uh, enough. No, that's absolutely right. I'm not giving them enough. Richard, who do you think will win? Enough respect. I think Altuve will win, but I think it will be close. And I think if you just go down the numbers, you can make a really good case for Aaron Judge. I mean, sure. it's unbelievable. Yeah, he had a bunch of droughts, but the numbers are phenomenal. <laughs> and uh, it's a, he's a pretty amazing presence. He's a pretty amazing person, too. My family was sitting down there in right field in a couple of games in Houston. He buffed the ball. You know, they're all yelling at him. And he just sort of looks up like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can. It's like he completely took everybody out of it. You know, and when you're going bad, you know, Preston can tough on you. And he has – I mean, it's like he went to the Derek Jeter School of Presence. I think he's got a chance to be an amazing presence in the game for a long time. Well, he's in the right place for it, too. So that that'll that'll be it'll be interesting to see where he goes from there. So let so let's look at this uh, at this World Series. What is your projection? Uh, who did you vote? Uh, who did you say was going to win it? And how many games? Well, who do you think is going to win it, there, Bubba? <laughs> I Are don't you believe drunk? I. My God, what an original! What an original question. I think what? The better. Oh my God! How much did you drink at the gala last night? like being on the radio and uh, 
in Sioux Falls. Like, well, who you got winning there? Because the, Hey, well, for, first of all, let me just say this. I'm sorry I asked who was going to win the game, asked for a prediction. I know that's so outrageous in our business that someone would ask for a prediction on a game. Wait, let, hang on. Let, let's just go to the MLB.com page and see what they've got. Let's get back to Aggie recruiting now on the Big Ten 50. I think the Astros have the better offense. I think the Astros actually even have the better rotation. But it comes down to, and I think they have the better defense. They put on a defensive clinic uh, in this in this World Series with the plays that Bregman has made and Correa has made. But the question is, can you win a World Series when you don't have a bullpen? And how are you going to get the final five or six outs? The Dodger bullpen has been unbelievable. And, and they, if you'd had this conversation two months ago, it was the Astros who had it lined up. They had the, the closer, Giles. And they had multiple inning guys that were pitching great. Davinsky, all-star. Musgrove's been great. Will Harrison, all-star last year. And now it's completely flipped. A.J. Hinch has no confidence in any of his guys. That's why he went to McCullers in relief. He went to Verlander in relief. And um, Dave Roberts, they have a 0.95 ERA in the postseason. And they go backwards. The best closer in the game. And Brandon Morrow and Kenton Maeda. And two left-handers they acquired at the trade deadline. So if that's if it's going to be close games and if it's going to be decided by bullpens, then the Dodgers are going to win. But I think the Astros are going to win. I think uh, he's got to go back to his two guys, to his two right-handers, Davinsky and Musgrove. At some point, it's easier for me to say. But their rotation is pitching at such a high level. Keiko may be the key in Game One, but after that, you have Verlander, Morton, and uh, McCullers, and. I mean, I think that's better than what the Dodgers are going to throw. But I, my hope is that it's a seven-game series. And it's like last year when it ended in the Indians clubhouse. They had lost, but there were players walking around going, my God, what we were part of, we'll remember for the rest of our lives. I hope it's a great show. So, Richard, since you had such problems with all of our questions, uh, why don't you just tell us an Earl Weaver story? <laughs> game, game seven of the 1979 World Series, they were on their way to blowing a seven. They had a three-one lead, and we're on the way to blowing it. Earl calls the writers in. Writers aren't supposed to be in the clubhouse before World Series games. I tell them just go out there and act normal. Go out there and ask all the stupid questions that you normally do. And they go, Earl, it's Game Seven of the World Series. It's not normal. Just go out there and do it. Okay, that's great. <laughs> um, so here's uh, 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 while Richard continues to gather his thoughts. <laughs> Here's here's what I see, Kevin. I see uh, a um, I see a Houston team that's put together a, a, a very good starting rotation by drafting and developing an ace in Dallas Keuchel. Yep. By I smell a story that you may have written for us. Trading for an ace in Justin Verlander. Yep. And by getting a number of guys, whether it's McCullers, McHugh, um, Peacock in deals when they were going through a prolonged rebuild that involved some tanking and dumping and trading trading off whatever assets they had. Um, I see a Dodgers rotation that drafted and developed an ace. There's a commonality between those two teams in that regard. Kershaw is definitely that guy. The Dodgers traded for, at the, at the deadline, a secondary ace in Darvish. Where was Kershaw in that draft? 
He was, I think, the sixth or seventh pick overall. Was he? Yeah. Um, traded for an ace uh, on the market in Darvish. Again, both these teams' big, big acquisition at the deadline was a big-time starter. Uh, and then I see a Dodgers staff that has spent about 90 – a Dodgers team that spent about $95 million uh, on its starting rotation this year. And so what I see is I see there's multiple ways to get to where you're at. Starting pitching is still king. The bullpen has taken on a different role than it has in the past. But starting pitching is still really important to get you where you want to go. The Dodgers have done it one way. The Astros have done it another. And then I sit here and I look at the Texas Rangers and where they are, and I don't think that the Rangers have the capability of building that rotation overnight or over the course of one winter. They've got too many holes. They don't have the financial availability or really the market. The, the market's kind of thin this winter, um, and they don't have the ability to go through a rebuild program like the Astros have. So I think from for me, and this is kind of this is this is what I wrote this morning, that the lesson in the World Series here is that the Rangers have a long way to go and that their best road to getting back to the World Series and getting back to where the Dodgers and Astros are with a strong rotation is incremental improvement. And it may not they're not going to catch the Astros on paper this year. I'd like to ask can I ask Richard a question? Richard, is this what is the difference is there a difference in you Darvish the Dodger from you Darvish the Ranger? Richard? (laughs) Apparently apparently we've lost Richard. (laughs) Who who may not have really been with us when he was here. Uh, hello <laughs> and Boy, that is there's going to be a lot of I'm sorry going on in private here. So, um what was your I just I, I just I just like to know is 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 there a different you Darvish on the map? I think the biggest issue the biggest difference in you Darvish from the Rangers to the Dodgers. I think one thing was look, a trade shakes a guy up in yeah. in a lot of ways and it makes him if he's self-conscious in any way, it makes him think about things a little bit differently. And I do think that, that Darvish is self-conscious and always trying to be a perfectionist. I think, secondly, what the Dodgers did is they presented data in a better way than the Rangers have presented the data. I don't think there's much difference. Well, it was the, received better by Darvish. I don't think there's much difference in the data accumulated from team to team. The difference now is in how you present it and thus – how it's received. Yeah. Um, and, and I think these are the teams that have – you're going to hear a lot of narratives over the next week about how aggressive the Astros are in the data and analytics department and how big the Dodgers analytics department is. But the difference, I think, is that both of these teams have presented the data to players in a way that they can digest it. And, and, and John Daniels said as much when I talked to him last week about about the Darvish thing and, and, and his one – his one sentence comment about this was, I think there's a bigger difference in the presentation than there is in the actual data itself. And, and the Rangers do understand that they have to get better in how they present data to their players. Well, they got to do a lot of soul searching. And, and they've been doing that. Uh, you know, one of the things we talked about and you wrote about during the season was the fact that they're in their system, they're going to get these guys to establish fastball command, that they were going to do that at the, at the uh, sacrifice of everything else, you know, we want you to throw fastball. We don't care what the results are right now. We want you to throw your fastball, establish that command first, and then go into something else. 
And this is something to me because there has to be a reason. There's no coincidence that this franchise has been here since 1972 and has never developed pitchers. Through many regimes, never developed pitchers. They've had a couple of blips, a couple of guys come through. Kevin Brown, Kenny Rogers. That Kevin Brown, Kenny Rogers, Edwin Correa. Rick that, Helling. You well, that, I mean, that group that came together at that with Jose Guzman as well. I yes. mean, they were a serviceable rotation that, that could have been with their, real high-end guys. That too, could have yeah. been their big breakthrough, but those guys all broke down, too. But, but if, if, that's, if that's your peak. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's a problem. That's, that's, that's a, problem. a problem. So, to me, uh, one of the things I remember asking, you know, uh, a, a, a guy who was, who was uh, John Hart's co-GM, Grady Fusen. Remember those days? That was a that was a real adventure. I said, "Why why is it that these guys? Why is it the Rangers have had such trouble developing pitchers?" He said, "Well, from afar, from where I sit, it was they never seem to have a plan. They never seem to go after certain kinds of pitchers. You know, they just they just they just got guys. You know, and 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 I don't know if that was the problem or not. But I think that the Rangers need to look at this. I think they need to look at it and, and say, why haven't we been able to do this? Why haven't we been able to recognize them? Why haven't we?" Been able to keep them, you know. Well, I, I, I think that that was a big element in this in this plan that they went through this summer, which was, and it was it was determined after last year that hey, we have got to do a better job de- developing pitching. And what the Rangers did was they went back to this 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 idea of. Fastball command is the most important element of pitching. Yeah. You develop your fastball. You, you're able to throw it to Hello? in and out of the zone. Hey, then we got Richard Justice back with us. Hey. <laughs> Did you go out and get a, a, a dilly bar well, or something? I, I, What's I, going I, on? I, te- I texted you my hotel room number. Uh, the um, My cell service here is terrible. You sure I didn't insult you? No, my ce- What? <laughs> no, his cell. Let's let's move on, Evan. Let's, his cell. Hey, let, let's just uh, let's start over. Start over the whole podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's do yeah, that. Without without the Nolan Ryan stuff, it was all ridiculous. <laughs> uh, we're we're way past that. We're way past that now. Let's let's talk- should, the, what, what, the question I was asking you at the time when when you, you went dark was what is, is there a difference between the U Darvish Dodger pitcher and the U Darvish Ranger pitcher? I haven't seen enough to know, but I feel he's uh, – no, I can't answer that. I don't know. Richard, he, I'd be trying to make something up. He, here's what I well, – I never just, stopped you before. While you were – while you no, were, this hasn't. is what I, <laughs> I, I, I theorized to our guys, and, and I, I've talked a little bit with some people about this, is that, that Darvish the, – the way the data was presented to Darvish was much more digestible. And I think that the Astros – we've talked about how aggressive the Astros have been in data and analytics – what what can you say about the way they presented the information of their players that's allowed their players, particularly on offense, to really cut down strikeouts and become a much more efficient offense? Well, it's much clearer to me on um, the pitching side of it in okay. that Charlie Morton gets here and they say, you got to throw your curveball more. And we don't mean from 12% to 15%. We mean you got to throw it 30% of the time. Same thing with Lance McCullers. He finished uh, the game the other night with 24 straight curveballs. And it's a weapon, and they just feel like, it, like the league, Ken Giles was 100 miles an hour. If the league hits 280 or something off that 100-mile-an-hour fastball, 
the league hits like 040 off his slider. So in a big situation, which are, which are you going to throw? On the hitting side of it, I don't know that they can teach discipline. They got out of their comfort zone in three games in New York last week, and they were lunging at pitches all over the place. And the, the thing they had going, they led, the, they led the majors in runs. They were third or fourth in home runs, and they were last in strikeouts. And that's just not the way the game is played now. And it's, they, what they, I think what they teach is you go up looking for the one pitch. Before uh, Alex Bregman hit the home run that tied the uh, ALDS game four, he'd been over 15 or something. And Alex Score called him aside and said, now you know you're going to get one change up from Chris Sale. Just set on that, put everything out of your mind, and just focus on that one pitch. Because even the greatest pitchers, you're going to get one guy to hit. So, but the the, the key is, and you, you talk about it with all the teams that use a lot of data, is how much do you tell the players? How much do you tell the players and still allow them to go up to home plate with an uncluttered mind? I don't think anybody's figured it out yet. What David Stearns in Milwaukee said was, we have this mountain of an avalanche of information. And we really, we're still day by day figuring out how to use it. Yeah, I, I think that's. I, I think that is the biggest thing. And, and I, I thought Daniel's comments. Uh, you were you were away when I, I talked to Daniel's about John Daniel's about this last week um, with Darvish, and, and his 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 comment was, I think there's been more difference in the way the data is presented than in the actual accumulation of data from one team to another. Yeah. Now. Right. On, an, on the pitching side, the Astros believe in up and down, going up and down instead of in and out. Right. And, for instance, they noticed one of the things they picked up early is that Billy Bean, every pitcher you talk to, keep the ball down. And number one example of that is, is Dallas Keuchel. He, he got something like in his first postseason start, he got something like 32, 32 strikes, swings and misses out of the strike zone low. But the one thing they noticed was Billy Bean was going out and getting all these guys with low swing planes. And so how do you combat that? You throw high fastballs. And when pitchers have been taught their whole life to keep the ball down, you're asking a guy to throw a belt-high fastball? <laughs> That's, that takes some, you know, that takes some, some adjustment, and guys are reluctant to do that. But that's what they believe is you go up and down, and that's what's been the secret word with Keiko, with remaking Colin McHugh, people like that. And Doug Rokale Jay has would tell you, it changed his whole lot. Doug Rokale has talked about that with with his pitchers as well, and has emphasized the up and down thing. I still think there is a way and a language that that clubs take the data, translate it into a way that players can can comprehend, and it's. It's not just saying, well, we want you to work up and down. It's also presenting it, and I think the Dodgers do a good job of this. We talked a little bit about about the binder of information that the Dodgers presented Darvish when he got there, and it's, okay, here's who you are. Here's what you do. Now, when you do this, this is how much, this is what level of success you have, and boil it down to simple kind of um uh, st- statements that guys can digest easily and not, as you say, either go to the mound with a cluttered head or go to the plate with a cluttered head, but have confidence that, okay, I understand why I'm successful. I understand I am successful when I do this and why, I do- why I'm successful when I, I do this. Have a, do you guys feel the Rangers are not, that, that the Rangers are behind the curve? I think the Rangers feel they're behind the curve. I think the Rangers feel they're behind the curve. 
You know, the Astros have, uh, one of the things the Astros do, they now believe the Yankees have the largest analytics department in baseball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the things they do is they go on, what you know, teams try to keep their employee list a secret. Some of these guys, you don't even know they work there. And the Astros go on LinkedIn and find employees, New York Yankees, and what the degree is in to try to figure out. Because if a guy's degree is in uh, in applied math from MIT, he's probably not the double-A pitching coach. Right. right. <laughs> well, I, you know, the, the thing to me that is interesting about all of this is in, in coaching is, and, and, and this is true in any field of coaching, which football, basketball, soccer, I don't care what it is, is that I, I think the, the, the knowledge of X's and O's, th- there are people out there who are, are better at X's and O's than other people. There's no question about that. But it's in your ability to relate that information and, and translate that to somebody to where they can understand it. And, and I think that this is, uh, you know, the issue uh, uh, for me when, when I, you know, I know Richard doesn't like it when we, when we try to, uh, to communicate with our readers. Um, but <laughs> they, they, what they all say is, that, oh, yeah, you got to get rid of Doug Brokale. you got to get rid of Anthony Iapose. You know, you got to – these guys have not done anything. And, 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 in, and in my feeling is that when these guys reach the major leagues – Especially, not, maybe not as much. It's an interesting question to me whether I think it's uh, less of a problem for pitchers than it is for hitters. But when you try to start taking a guy's uh, hitting approach apart at the major league level, I just think that's a really dangerous thing because this guy has worked his entire life to get right. to that position. Right. And and he has put everything in this, and now you're going to tell him, now we want you to do this differently. I just think that's very difficult, and I think it's kind of incumbent upon the club to say, if this is the kind of hitter we want, then this is the kind of hitter we're going to find, well, not I, the kind of hitter we're going to try to teach. I think, but, but, but you know, the human element is this. Uh, Brad Peacock made the Astros because he was out of options. He's standing around in the outfield. This is the information age. He's standing around the outfield in spring training, and a young guy named Jordan Jankowski, who's not even in the organization anymore, starts showing him his slider. Brad took it into a game. And he's been great this year. I mean, he's been great out of the bullpen. He saved when they had four starting pitchers on the disabled list. He saved their butts. Same thing. J.D. Martinez is so frustrated with his career that, and he's going to make a good. He's going to get eighty, a hundred million or something this off season. He starts studying. One day, Jason Castro, a left-handed hitter, J.D.'s a right-handed hitter, comes into him and says, "How about this?" He looks at video of Jason. He starts looking at video of right-handed hitters. He remade his swing. He goes to spring training. The Astros only gave him 11 at-bats in spring training, cut him. He gets picked up by the Tigers. Like the third day there, they come in and go, oh, my God, you should see this kid over in the minor league camp. He's hitting every ball over the fence. And he's been one of the best hitters in baseball. But that wasn't – that was analytics because the tools were available to them to study the video. But it was really just sort of a fluke, you know. I think I think it's a, it's a situation I mean, I wanna, where guy also it, when you hit rock bottom, then you're gonna you're gonna yeah, try things. That, that's it. I want to apply know. this to the, the the situation that the Rangers have got to address uh, definitively and immediately this winter, and that is Rignet Odor. And I, I think when when you're talking on the hitting element, you can't sit here and say, okay, we're going to reconstruct his swing or who he is. There might be some little tweaks mechanically that get him in a better position or a better spot to see the ball. 
But ultimately, the way you've got to communicate to Rignetador is not say, we need you to take more walks, we need you to take more pitches. What has to be said to Irugi is, okay, here's the strike zone, here are the quadrants, here's where you hit in different quadrants. Here's why your swing is so tailored for these pitches and why these pitches don't work for you. And let's work on how we better identify these pitches, how we are going to keep our bat in that path, how we're going to make contact with that. This is, again, where I think that the Astros, the Dodgers, um, uh, obviously the Yankees have a big department as well, but I think the teams that are developing competitive edges right now are taking all the data, finding a way to communicate it to players in a way that they understand. When the Rangers hired Jeff Bannister as manager, he came from a club that was widely credited with being on the, on the edge of data analytics. And one of Jeff's strengths, supposedly, as the Pirates bench coach, was he was able to both identify things that would, that would be borne out by data and then take it to the players and explain it to them in a way that was beneficial. I think this is something he's gotten away from as the Rangers manager. I think it's one thing that John ba John Daniels addressed kind of in an indirect way last week when we talked about the things that Jeff Bannister needed to do to improve. And one of them, John Daniels said, was, you know, he needs to um, emphasize, or, or John said, I want him to emphasize the things that he's really good at, which are communication and going out and communicating with our players more. And I think by doing that, he also wants him to – get the players to buy into what he's saying about about analytics, get him to buy into what guys who he delegates to are saying about analytics, and take what the players' concerns are, translate them back into a language that players can understand, and go from there. But, you know, uh, I don't agree with the, your, your term analytics. To me, it's information. If you're... I think what these teams do, the teams that are out in front, and they're all paranoid about what's the next great, great thing, how do you find out what we're behind on, they're all secretive. But it's things as simple as where do you deploy scouts in Venezuela? What positions does Venezuela produce? What's the money? What's the signing date? What, do you, what, we, should, what we should do? It's, it's, it's just when you try to go this route, it's all-encompassing. Right. And you, you, there is more information available in every element. And, and, and like you say, it, it doesn't just have to do with spin rates or, or launch angles. There's more information available in every element of the game. And teams that, teams that continue to expand on that are the ones that are more likely to identify some short-term uh, competitive advantage, and I do also. But, think but don't you have to identify what is useful information and what is just inf information that's that's what you're, you're wasting time with. That's what your analysts are there for. That's what, and and you know, we've all made fun of of Sigmedal, but as because of the title, because he's what is he the d director of division of decision sciences? Richard, that question's for you, I think. Richard, we lost Richard again. Uh, twice now, we've lost Richard on this uh, podcast. We've lost him again, but he's director of decision sciences at the Astros, and he's a NASA, um, former NASA employee, and his his he was a janitor at NASA. Yes, yeah. His job is basically to say, okay, this is information that is good, information. is useful. This is information that's not, and this is how we have to go about flushing it out. 
Well, you know, this organization has a long history of that kind of thing, though, because when Tom House was here, everybody made fun of Tom for all the things that, uh, you know, Inspector Gadget of pitching coaches, guys, guys throwing footballs in the outfield and that kind of stuff. And, and there was a big question back then, do these guys get it? You know, Bobby Valentine brought up that question when they sent Bobby Witt down and he came back and he was a different pitcher. And Fergie Jenkins told him something. What did Fergie tell him that we didn't? Right. Well, the fact is that Fergie Jenkins told him. Fergie right. Jenkins told House. him that Fergie maybe had a way of communicating, just communicating in a, in a, in a more plain language than Tom House was bringing. Well, but also Fergie Jenkins was Fergie, Fergie Jenkins. Kevin That's just right. said that. Yeah, I know, but it's true. The, no, yeah. there's something to be Even said though Kevin But said there's it. also, you know, Oral Hershiser wasn't a successful pitching coach, and he was a great pitcher. There's something to be yeah. said for certain guys. Absolutely. It still comes down to communication skills. Yeah, well, and, that, that, and that was an issue. And I still say to I still say to people, my experience over the last two years, you know, you you talk about Doug Brokale and the fact that this team didn't have pitching results this year. Well, Doug Brokale came from the Astros organization, so he's learned all the stuff that the Astros were teaching the last few years. Had a big hand in developing a lot of the guys that are in the the Astros pitching staff. Now, secondly, my personal experience watching Doug Brokale. I see a guy who's much more um, give and take than I did with Mike Maddox. I saw in Mike Maddox a guy who said, okay, these are the things that you do well, now go do them. Yeah, Look, I'm telling you that this is what you do, you go do them. And there wasn't as much give and take. The modern-day player also is a little bit more um, familiar with more information. And so I think they want they want answers that are why answers too. Let me let me ask you this question because this is what uh, when people write me and say, oh, they should fire Doug Brokale, they should fire Anthony Iposi, all these people, is that you know? Of course, fans always want to do that. They just want to fire everybody right. uh, as soon as something goes bad. It, and uh, my feeling is, in the, across the spectrum in sports, that you have to be careful about that kind of thing because when you're turning over people and you're bringing in new pitching coaches every year, or you're bringing in new hitting coaches every year, you're doing this kind of stuff, that's counterproductive. Now you're really jumbling up these pitchers' and I, heads. I also just think it's burying your head in the sand because a lot of the times it still comes down to this. The communication, it, guys can be communicating really clearly Rignet Odor is 23. No more Mazar is 22. Sometimes with these guys, it takes more failure than you are patient with or that you want to be patient with for them to get the message. It's still the player's responsibility to make the adjustments. Yeah, the, the problem for Rangers fans is that they want the problem is they want easy quit, easy quick. Well, fixes. because it's, it's not only Ranger fans; it's fans everywhere. everywhere. Be, don't, well, because don't, don't pick on Ranger. Fans. No, because of Aaron Judge. Right. It, it's because of uh, because why is Joey Gallo not Aaron Judge? Right. Yeah. You know, Chris Bryant. Chris right. Bryant and Joey Gallo were were best buds. They played on the same teams growing up. Why aren't Why isn't Joey having Chris Bryant right. success? So. That's that's part of the problem in, in all of that. And I just think that if you start, you know, I don't think Doug Brokale is a bad pitching coach. I don't know if he's a good pitching coach. I don't know if he's a bad one. I think that he deserves some time here to, to see what the results are. And, you know, the Rangers are at a time now, as we pointed out. Listen, they're not going to be the favorite. You know, they won't be picked to finish second in the division next year. So uh, I, I think that this allows them some time to kind of – Gather up their thoughts, as you said. Some incremental uh, improvements in the off season. I think build a base I, here. See what see what they can do. I, I think they can still be competitive. I think they can still compete for oh, a wild I think my, card. My point with the Rangers, and and I I would tell Ranger fans get used to me saying this a lot, whether it's on the podcast or in print. 
the phrase incremental improvement because I think that's the best way to go about things. I think, look, this team had a ton of flaws this year, um, and they were still in the wild card race. Yes, they were. With 10 games left to play. They can make themselves a better team than they were last year. They're not going to make themselves a 95-win team again overnight. No. It's going to take some time. But they can they can they can make themselves competitive for that second wild card. And let's just let's just again say this: the playoffs are more crapshoot now than they have ever been before. You get hot at the right time, you can you can knock off clubs that you supposedly have no chance against. So yeah. the idea is to get in the tournament at this point in time. Absolutely, and and that what this team has to do, really, in my mind, what they have improve have to improve on is is drafting. They they felt like they'd had a really good draft this year. Uh, the guys that they they picked have been kind of uh, elevated in the outside uh, analysis of the, their farm system. These guys moved right to the top of that, farm, which tells you a little bit about well, about uh, the other players, about the, farm the other system, players in the right. farm system. But they did. It looks like they've done a good job. We you, we don't know that yet, of course. But you can go back now over the history of of, of John Daniels drafts. And, when, and the last time they had a high-impact player in the first round was Mark well, Deshera. Yeah, I mean, I'm just – I think this team has done a decent job with mid-round picks. You know, you look at the guys like Kinsler, Moreland. Um, well, that, what was it, the two uh, – there was a – was it the 2007 draft? There's one in there where there were several players that right. they got out of that draft, which was very good. Right, and they used a lot of players as inventory, and that's value too. But if you're – But the last homegrown player – from the first round, who made a real impact was Mark Teixeira, and he was drafted in 2001. Um, he's retired now. He's yes, also he retired. retired now. Yeah, and that and that's not good. And that's the because when because what Rangers fans also look at made an impact for the Rangers. Yes, for the Rangers. It, John Danks was a first round pick. Yes, um, and they did well for the White Justin Sox. Smoke was a first round pick. Right, but those were all guys that were used as collateral and other. And it's really that's and that's and listen, the Justice Smoke deal for Cliff Lee, they don't get to the World Series without Correct. Cliff Lee. So that so that that worked out just fine. But you know what fans will look, look at is that the Dylan Tate pick, three picks later, the Red Sox take Andrew Benintendi, who was a very good player for the Red Sox. Yeah, and he and, and it was a very good player right away. That's why you have to hit on those first round picks because you hit on those guys. There's an immediate turnaround if they're college picks. Well, you know, sure. There are guys who are going to be playing within a couple of years after we, we, you pick. Well, sure. But, uh, but uh, when a middle to late round pick hits, too, isn't that really just more luck than anything else? Because if, if you're if you're picking a guy in the 17th round, I don't know this, and, like, and he clicks. I don't know what you're saying, but in baseball, that's the way it works. You know. But but that's there's a luck. There's a there's some there's some fortune involved. involved. There's in some that. good fortune because if you knew he was going to be what he is, he wouldn't have been a 17th round pick. Right. But as we know, baseball drafts are different from other. I'm just saying that it, that now. You do see it used to be. I mean, you go back to '65, you know, when the draft started, and look at the drafts after that. Oh my gosh, it's a disaster. You how many how many first round picks even made it? You know, right. but now teams are hitting on those first round picks uh, because everything is so much different now from what it used to be. Do you be. know who the first pick ever was in the major league draft? He's from Evans' hometown, I think. Ron Bloomberg. Ron Bloomberg. Is you know, Ron Bloomberg and Ron Bloomberg went to high school at what? The high school that I would now be going to if I was still living in Atlanta. Would you? My would, high school merged with Druid Hills High School. Would that turn you into a power hitting no. first baseman? No. Um, uh, Boys, I think we need, we need to re wrapping up the old. Yeah, all these podcast. all these points have been good. We've gotten a lot more into analytics, but I, I do think here that my point still is on the Rangers, and you look at the two World Series team. The thing for them to learn 
and and they know this is there's a lot of ways to go about about improving this pitching staff. They're not going to solve all their issues overnight. There's a couple of good pitchers on the market. Mm-hmm. I think they need to set aside money for Otani because that, that that's kind of a fixed amount of money. If you get Otani, that's a bonus. You're willing to expand your payroll by whatever it costs to get Otani. In addition to Otani, as, as your priority, you need to identify one guy, whether it's Alex Cobb or somebody else that you are going to go out and sign to make this staff better. Yeah. Well, they have to make the staff better. Right. I mean, there, there's no if. But you don't try and spend. You don't try and take thirty million dollars and spend it on four different pitchers. If you need to spend fifteen million dollars on one pitcher to make your staff incrementally better, that's what you do. Well, well here's because here's the thing. It, it, it because with the Dodgers, we, we you know. Because Darvish won't probably won't come back to the Dodgers. I don't think he might. He might. He might. It's a possibility. But I hear, would you take you take Darvish away from that rotation now? Then it's just Clayton Kershaw. Why? Do, why do you think he won't go back to the Dodgers? I I just think he might. I, I just think what's going to happen is is that uh, he's going to get out here in the market and he's going to be the most. If he has a if he has a really good uh, you know World, World Series, Series, then 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 boy he is going to move right back to the top. Of, of being a, you know, he's going to get thirty million a he's year. He's still going to be the top free agent on the market. I yeah. mean, I, I think he's going to, he's still going to get more than Arietta does. He's obviously going to get more than Cobb does. Why wouldn't Artie Moreno go crazy for him? I mean, that's that's what separates the Angels from the Dodgers is, is they got they got nobody. They got no pitching. They got no pitching, none. And so, uh, and, and you know, and certainly Artie has spent money before. He's getting closer to the end on some of these contracts. So you know, oh, I thought you you were going. He's getting closer to no, no, no. the end. So I mean that to me, that's a no brainer for him. Uh, right. He has to do that. But it, and we'll see. You need to be in the same town. I mean, it's 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 a great town for different. You could say the same thing. Yeah, you know, you could say the same thing for Seattle. You could say the same thing. Oh, for you sure San can. Francisco. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's a thin pitching market, and it's going to be it's going to be overpriced. And so, so anyway, my point is is that, and then the Astros are the same way. Once you got past, you know, uh, uh, you know, Keiko, it, it starts to get a little thin. They got that's why they went out and got Verlander. So you know, and, and from that standpoint, you know, it's, it's it's like looking for a quarterback, though, right? Uh, in the NFL, okay, we, you know, we're a good team. We're just lacking a quarterback. We're the Houston Texans. We're just lacking a. I think quarterback. it's harder to find a, a pitcher than a quarterback because you you need. You need more than the ace. You, well, you have a quarterback. Well, you do. You have yeah. a quarterback. You're pretty well set. You do. But, but you need, there's no question. Pitchers, there are more moving parts. But you, have, but you do. You do almost really have to have one great pitcher. I will say this: the final eight teams left in the Major League Baseball playoffs this year, the teams that either that all won at least one game in the postseason um, and advanced, um, all eight of them had a Cy Young Award winner make a postseason start for them. Is that right? What a great stat. Um, and if you really want to, if you want to stretch it, Minnesota had, uh, I don't, uh, well, never mind. But all eight had Cy Young Award winners start for them. You need a great pitcher at the front of your staff. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. All right, we had uh, we had a couple of times. We had uh, our old pal Richard Justice, who made a couple of visits with us on that podcast. But I offended him twice. I and guess. he hung up both times. He didn't uh, hang up. He was just oh technical difficulties. Oh my god, Richard, he's the best. Uh, I love having Richard on. He's got a million stories, uh, and he'll tell them all. Uh, so and he, anyway, and you and he are very good friends. I've never been that close to him, but you and he are very good. Well, friends. and and and, and Evan, and he are very good friends. Dines with him when he gets to Houston. Oh, we love Richard. He's 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 one of my favorites. He's a character. He's a character in the business, and there's not a lot of those. Not anymore. Not anymore. It's just 
There's just us. There's just us pluggers. Uh, so anyway, everybody, that's our uh, that's our baseball podcast. We've also had a podcast uh, in which we talked to David Moore of the Dallas Morning News about his uh, career, and that started off with an insult too, as I recall. Yeah, you did insult. No, me. you insult. He insulted. Oh, he you. insulted me. That's he insulted right. You. For no reason. No, out of the no blue. Reason out of the blue. That was awful. Uh, and then we've uh, so now we talked to Richard Justice, and now we're going to go to our college podcast, in which we have a surprise guest. Who is he? Did he coach in the SEC? He did coach in the SEC. Did Where he else coach in the Big Twelve? He did coach in the Big Twelve. Did he coach in Dallas, Texas, for a uh, NFL team? He did. He was not a head coach there. No, but you know he was kind of a, he was a, he was kind of way down that staff. He he was. Did he did he does he also have a daughter who works for oh the Dallas Cowboys? But who doesn't? I don't. Who does doesn't have a daughter who works for the does, Cowboys? Does, does Let's talk a, about all the daughters who work for the Cowboys. Art Briles' daughter worked for the Cowboys. Who else did we did we find out worked work for the Cowboys? Uh, we had Evan. You you were telling uh, Evan. Us? You were telling oh the uh, Sean Payton's daughter. Sean Payton's daughter worked for the Cowboys, and our guest, our guest daughter, our worked next for the Cowboys. Work for the Cowboys. So we're not and, gonna... and Jerry Jones's daughter works for the Cowboys too. Yes, she, yes, she does. Yes, she does. Boy, it helps, doesn't it? Have a little star power on your side. Evan's waiting for us to fall on our face. He's just sitting back there. Let, let's end the conversation. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.